Lord, I pray that that would be true of us, that those simply wouldn't be words that we would just sing because there are words that are up there that we're supposed to sing, but that you would indeed have your way in us. Lord, have your way in me. Speak through me. Do whatever it is your will is this morning through me to build up your body here in Auburn at Bible Chapel. In Jesus' name I give thanks. Amen. As we continue our series on the school of prayer, we come to Matthew chapter 6, verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. This is the fourth petition or fourth request in this uh, prayer. First three being, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I wanted to begin this morning, though, by talking about what I'm calling God Bless America. Um, In an article entitled, 11 Stats That Will Change the Way You Think About Consumerism, uh, Jesse Carey writes this, On the biggest shopping day of the year, which is, of course, what? Black Friday. He says, we decided to look at some of the numbers just to show how powerful Americans' obsession with consumption really is. You might be thinking, ah, now I know why he shared what he shared at the beginning of the service. Okay, the amount, number one, I'm not going to go through all 11, but the amount Americans spend in a single weekend, it's more than half of the total they give to churches in an entire year. In 2014 alone, for example, Americans spent $57 billion on Black Friday weekend alone. They gave $103 billion to churches over the course of the whole year. Uh, There were enough K-cups that were thrown out in 2014, to encircle the earth 12 times. In America, nearly 40% of food goes to waste. Americans allow $165 billion of food to be wasted every year. Globally, malnutrition and lack of food affects just 161 million children around the world every year. Yet we throw out $165 billion of food. In America, more money is spent, I didn't know this, on fashion accessories than college tuition. The amount spent on shoes, watches, and jewelry alone totals $100 billion. Now, it's not just America, but wealthy nations waste almost as much food as is produced in all of the sub-Saharan Africa. Back to America, half of the world's toys. Where's Josiah? Half of the world's toys are in America. Despite making up just over 3% of the global population of children, American kids consume 40% of the world's toys. I don't think you're going to get $920 this year, buddy. 
Tom and Tracy are like, I'm glad he said that. America creates more electronic waste than any other nation on earth. We are a quarter the size of China, but we throw out more than one million tons of electronic devices than any other country. Homes, and this is a little convicting, homes in the United States contain more TVs than they do people. Some of you are shaking your heads or like, think about the TVs in your house, okay? On average, houses in the U.S. have three working television sets. I think that number is low, but on average, three working television sets. Twelve percent of the entire population of the world does more than half of the spending. Think about that. Now, I surmise that one of the reasons Americans consume so much is because we have so much. Grocery shopping can take so long because you have so many options to choose from. There are literally dozens of cereal options to choose from. There's a whole aisle dedicated to cereal alone, it seems like. But it was options is what I noticed while spending two weeks uh, doing ministry and visiting missionaries in Africa. There weren't as many options. I, personally, you know, a, a pastor in America, by no means wealthy or rich in America, I could not help but feel rich compared to the Africans who had so little. I also could not help but change my definition of what it meant to be poor. In his article, Tim Warstall offers what he calls a reality check of what it's really like to be poor in America, as opposed to being actually poor. Listen to this. He says, we're often told that to be poor in the United States is much worse than being poor in the social democracy of Europe. And the bottom 10% of the United States are indeed worse off than the 10% in Sweden. That's the common comparison. But it's not a fair comparison. Consider the size of America to Sweden. But the bottom 10% in the United States, the poor, you are better off than the bottom 10% in Germany or France. The bottom 10% in the United States, this gets really hard now. The bottom 10% in the United States have better lives than the top 10% in Russia, Portugal, and Mexico. We have been to Russia. We can tell you that that is true. I have been to Mexico. I can tell you that is true. Now, according to the 2018 poverty guidelines for Americans... To be poor, you have to have a family of four and an income of, of just over $25,000. Keep that number in mind. Because America's bottom percentile is still richer than most of the world. Let me put it more clearly. The typical person in the bottom 5% of the American income distribution, not 10%, the bottom 5%, 
is still richer than 68% of the world's inhabitants. So for comparison's sake, India's richest percentile measure at 60%. Yes, that's right. America's poorest are as a group about as rich as India's richest. Did you know that? Now, to show how wealthy and financially blessed Americans are, think about this. The medium annual household income for the global population is just under $10,000 a year, $9,700. And I told you what it is to be poor in America, a family of four with an income of how much? 25000 but the median annual household income for an American, do you know how much it is? It's $48,700. Take 9700 or 10000 versus 50000 basically. We have five times as much in terms of income. And to make it even worse... I'm not trying to guilt anybody or anything here. and This is not a giving sermon, okay? If the United States nonprofits, nonprofits, what's the goal of a nonprofit? You can't make money because you are a nonprofit. The United States nonprofits, if, if they were a country, now a nonprofit would be religious organizations, uh, schools, universities, and so on. You take all of those. If they were a country, they would rank as the sixth largest economy in the world. Larger than Canada or Russia. U.S. nonprofits produce $1.1 trillion in annual revenues as a percent of our, our GDP, gross domestic product. Thus, I say to you, God bless America. How about this? How about God bless his children? What about just Christians alone? American Christians, European Christians, just Christians as an entire group. Are they wealthy? Well, this is back in 2008 where Rob Mole wrote this in an article in Christianity Today called Scrooge Lives. It's in December of 2008. So this data is a little old, but it's only going to be higher than the numbers I'm going to present to you. But this is um, sobering. Consider the incredible wealth of evangelical Christians. And evangelical Christians defined by this. Those who say their faith is very important to them, and they attend church twice a month. In 2008, you know how much, as a group, evangelical Christians earned? $2.5 trillion. On their own, the evangelical Christians would be admitted to the G7. What is the G7? It's the group of the world's seven largest economies. Clearly, folks, God is taking care of his children.
I want to do a brief summary here. As we study the Lord's Prayer, the first three requests, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, they focus on who? God and his glory. Now, the last three requests focus on man in his need. Give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our debts, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, our Lord's point is clear. Until God is in the proper place, man cannot pray properly about his own needs. And you have gotten that point, or most of you have, as we've talked about this. God must be first in our prayers. It's, it's, our prayers are to put him on display. But I want you to understand this as we go into these next sermons. The focus on man and his needs. Even though God is primarily exalted in the first half of the Lord's Prayer, know this, the second half still exalts him. For example, the fact that God gives us our daily bread, he forgives our debts, and leads us not into temptation, is simply an expression of his power and grace. How does God hallow his name, bring his kingdom, and do his will on earth? By giving us our daily bread, by forgiving us our debts, and by leading us in our lives. Do you see that? God is brought to earth in the second part of this prayer. Because the purpose is still the same. The glory of God. So the last three requests say this, in essence, God, glorify yourself in my daily provision. Glorify yourself in our constant need for forgiveness. Glorify yourself in the leading and directing of your spirit in our lives. So God, be on display in your world that you created that your kingdom may come to earth through us. We are to give God the privilege an opportunity of revealing his glory through the meeting of our deepest of human needs. I want you to remember that. Now, let's take a brief look at this morning's verse, Matthew 6, 11, Give us this day our daily bread. And as Nancy correctly pointed out this morning, Give us this day our daily bread is a prayer for a, our physical needs. Now, the term bread means all of man's physical needs. So when we pray this, you need to understand something. That God, Jesus is saying, the Father is interested in meeting what? Our physical needs. Now, think about this for a moment. Just slow down, maybe close your eyes. Just think about this. Our God, who has created all things, the infinite universe, the heavens, the stars, the sky, the water, the earth, the mountains, the trees, the God of space who is beyond time and eternity, the God who is infinitely holy and righteous, who holds all things together by the power of his might, the world and the spinning stars he holds in the span of the palm of his hand, that same God cares that my physical needs are met. He knows that you and I have a meal to eat, clothes to wear, and a place to rest. And he delights in meeting those needs. Why? 
Because it is who he is. And it's what he has promised. Now let me show you. Everyone get your Bibles out. Turn to Psalm 37. He has promised to meet your needs. I'm going to give you an Old Testament example and a New Testament example of how God desires. It's his heart to meet your physical needs. So everyone there at Psalm chapter 37, look at verse 3. It says this, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. I'm going to explain to you what that means. To feed on his faithfulness means simply to be fed. Okay, feed on his what? His faithfulness, his faithful what? Provision. So the righteous man trusts in the Lord, i.e., I believe in Jesus Christ for salvation. Let's make it relevant to us today. And does good, meaning there are good works that result from salvation, right? Trust in the Lord and do good. For a Christian, think of trust in the Lord and do good as a believer. As a result, what happens? The promise is, he will dwell in the land and be what? Fed. Now, as the psalm continues, you'll see a comparison between the righteous and the unrighteous. Now, for the righteous, there is promise. But for the righteous... There is judgment. Jump forward to verses 18 and 19 of Psalm 37. Did you know this? The Lord knows the days of the blameless. Okay, I know that. I get that, Pastor. And their inheritance will be forever. Okay, you talked about that in Sunday school. I get that. They will not be ashamed in the time of evil. That's good. Watch this. In the days of what? Famine. They will what? Have abundance. Isn't that cool? The promise of the provision of God for his own people in a time of famine. Isn't that what God did with Joseph and his family in Genesis? Now, as you go on in this psalm, the main theme is of a righteous man who is cared for by the Lord. And then it kind of climaxes in verse 25. This is David, King David speaking. I have been young and now I am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his descendants begging bread. How many of you have to beg for bread? Well, in the New Testament, turn to Luke chapter 18. Luke 18, verses 28 to 30. Jesus promised this. Peter said, Behold, we have left our own homes and followed you in Luke 20, 18, 28 to 30. Verse 29. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, There is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times as much at this time in this life or in the life or age to come, eternal life. 
I believe God has provided houses and lands and fathers and mothers and homes for his own children in this life as well in the life to come. Now, it is, folks, a tremendous blessing to know that God is a God who has promised to meet our physical needs. Let me tell you how he's done this. In 2018, the total crop value of the United States was just under $44 billion. To put this into perspective, this is amazing, if you just took $61 billion of the $144 billion, and you, of all the crops, and you take the $61 billion and just take corn alone, not any other crop, just corn alone, that $61 billion of corn alone would fill 2 million jumbo hopper train cars that would stretch 13 times back and forth across the United States. 13 times. If you wanted to harvest the state of Iowa using human beings alone and horses, human beings and horses, how many people would take to do that? 31 million people and 61 million horses. But with technology, you can actually line up harvesting machines, wheel to wheel, and you can harvest the state of Iowa in one day. Technology has given us an incredible amount of productivity in terms of food. Now, why has this happened to America? Folks, it's because we are a nation that is founded upon Christian principles. That's our heritage. And God has kept his promise and blessed the righteous. Do you see that? While America is is trying to move away, parts of America, from God and righteousness, God as a whole has blessed the righteous nation in the world, and that is America. Do you see that? You're getting that point from this sermon. Now, I'm going to contrast that with a couple other countries. How about India? What is the dominant religion in India? It's Hinduism. How is that blessing the people of India? Well, people are dying every day of malnutrition or lack of clean drinking water. Men are forsaking their wives and their children just to find food. It's reported that mothers... Sometimes throw their babies in the Ganges River and watch them die as an act of sacrifice to their gods because they're going to die of malnutrition anyway. The former prime minister of India, the only female prime minister, Indira Gandhi, was quoted as saying, there is enough resource in India to feed that nation entirely and then export two-thirds of all that it produces, but it simply is not happening. Well, how about Brazil? What religion reigns there? Roman Catholicism. How's that working out? Well, Stan Muniam of World Vision tells a heart-rendering story of a visit to a house of Sebastian and Maria, oh my goodness, Nocabento, just a poor family in Brazil. He describes the house as it was leaning, it was one room, with a thatched roof and a sand floor, one stool, a charcoal hibachi, and four cots, which were potato sacks filled with straw. Folks, we have more TVs in our homes 
than people. This is how some people live in the rest of the world. This is what he wrote. My emotions could scarcely take in what I saw and heard. The three-year-old twins, lying naked and unmoving on a small cot, were in the last act of their personal drama. Mercifully, the curtain was coming down on their brief appearance. Malnutrition was the villain. The father is without work, and both he and Maria are anguished over their existence, but too proud to beg. He tried to shine shoes. Maria can't talk about their existence. She tries, but words just will not come. Her mother's love is deep and tender, and the daily deterioration of her children is more than she can bear. Now, in preparing this sermon, I mean, this is amazing, I discovered that roughly 11% of the harvestable land on the entire globe is being used for food production. Forty years ago, we were using 15% of the harvestable land for food production. Why are we using less? Technology. We are able to get more production out of less harvestable land. So the question becomes, well, why the hunger all around the globe? Folks, the problem is not a lack of resources. The problem is what cuts people off from those resources. And the answer is to that question is it is a spiritual issue. Do you see my point? God is not bound to provide for the unrighteous. Has he provided for the righteous? I just showed you, God bless America, has he provided? These other countries, we've been to Russia, we've seen it, India, Brazil, other places, they're not righteous. You know, atheism and communism, they are not Blessed. God is not upholding them because he has bound himself to provide for who? The righteous who are his children. Now, to show how generous God is, go to Matthew 6.11. Again, we're going to talk about praying the fourth petition. Give us this day our daily bread. So I want you to see... How much we spend, how much we Americans consume, and how much we spend. And the reason why we are spending that is because we have so much. The reason why we have so much is for one reason and one reason only. God has blessed the righteous. And has he blessed his children? Yes. Give us this day our daily bread. The word daily there is a very rare word in the Greek. The phrase is actually translated this. You may want to write this down. This is how you translate. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us our bread necessary for existence. That's the literal Greek. Give us our bread necessary for existence. Now I I have a question for you. Is that what you have to pray for every day when you ask God for provisions?
So I guess by your silence that you are living day by day. You open your cupboard, there's nothing there, and you have to trust that God will give you daily bread for your existence. Let me ask it again. Is that what you have to pray for every day when you ask God for provisions? Yes or no? Okay, yeah, good. You're living in reality now. You have more than enough. I have more than enough. What I want us to see is that it is the height of indifference, the height of ingratitude, to fail to daily recognize that God is actively upholding his world so that it supports our physical needs. Now, this request implies three points. We pray, give us this day our daily bread. Number one, it, require, it implies moderation. I think you can see that from what the actual translation is. We don't ask God, I think is what this means, for the luxuries of life. What luxuries he gives us is a result of his gracious hand. Now, I say this to everybody here who have the luxuries of this life. There's nobody in this room, comparatively speaking, are you rich or poor to everybody else in the world? You are rich. So God has abundantly given you above and beyond what you need. He has given you luxuries. My guess is that you don't pray for the luxuries. Job didn't pray to have all that he had. God is good and gave to him. Now, the spirit of this petition, give us this day our daily bread, is Proverbs 30, verses 8 and 9. It says, keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. And this is what has happened in America. We have our needs met and we have more than what we need. Who's the Lord? What I have, I have by my own hand, right? Whereas we fight comfort, there are those in this world that are simply living, eking out an existence day by day, fighting malnutrition, fighting starvation. We fight comfort. It also implies trust. Don't worry about what to eat or drink or to wear. You know how it goes, Matthew 6, 31 to 34. Don't be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? How many of you, if, you to go, if I were to go into your closet, I would see one pair of clothes? Two pairs of clothes. How about a dozen pair of clothes? How about dozens and dozens of pairs of clothes? Right? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your Heavenly Father knows what you need, or that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So as you seek His kingdom, He is added to you. He doesn't give you what you just need, He's added it to you. I said it before, Christianity is the only faith that offers anxiety-free living. And I want you to see, has God kept his word? Has he kept his promise? Has he provided for you? Yes, he has.
Now, it also implies, finally, total dependence. Notice that we pray, give us. What if God were to shut off heaven? What would happen? Well, nothing would grow, the plants, etc. The animals wouldn't eat. We wouldn't eat, and we would die. So if it doesn't rain, it's all over for us. But it is God who upholds us by his power. And it is God who causes the rain to fall. All we have is from God. So like David wrote, but who am I? And what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you. And of your own have we given you. In America, the temptation is to think, I earn my money. I earn my living. Well, if you have the ability to bend your back, if you have the ability to open your mouth and talk and make a living, if you have the ability to think and make a living, it is God who gave you that capacity and that facility. The understanding given to Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel, the scriptures are clear. God gave them that understanding. And by the way, the money that you get from your bank it is made out of stuff that God created. The paper came from trees, and the coins came from minerals. There's nothing in the world that God didn't create. Thomas Watson, a Puritan writer, wrote this. It is, if all is a gift from God, and we would agree with that, do you see the odious ingratitude of men who sin against their giver? God feeds them, and they fight against him. He gives them bread, and they give him a front. How unworthy is this? Should we not cry shame on him, who had a friend always feeding him with money, and yet he should betray and injure that friend? Thus ungratefully do sinners deal with God. They not only forget his mercies, but they abuse them. That's what happened to Israel. Jeremiah wrote this, when I had fed them to the full, then they committed adultery. Their bellies were full and they turned from me and they went to serve other gods. Daniel Fuller, I'm going to close with this story, tells the story of trials and provisions of his grandfather, Charles Fuller, in the book called Give Them Winds, A Mighty Voice, the story of Charles Fuller. Of course, Charles Fuller is the one who helps found Fuller Seminary and so on. You get the idea here, just listen to this. So my grandfather left orange growing, they were growing oranges in a farm, to preach the gospel through the radio. This brought him into a season of trials. Here's how he described this to his listeners. We have come to know God in a new way because of the trials of these past three years. We have known what it is to have much sickness, financial losses, to have those turn against us and to seek to hurt us who we thought were true friends. To 
Trevor only child brought down to death's door on two occasions. And to have gone before the microphone after sleepless nights, so burdened and cast down. I didn't know whether I could preach. But then he concludes. I want to tell you that after going through all this and much more, Mrs. Fuller and I know that God is able, that his promises are true. Two months later, Charles Fuller faced another trial and again saw God's faithfulness. My grandfather had trouble finding radio stations that would carry his preaching because many had policies against religious broadcasting. But God opened the door for him to take the Sunday evening slot on station KNX, the voice of Hollywood. How ironic. This was exciting because KNX planned on increasing its broadcast to cover the entire West Coast. Alaska, Hawaii. But this Sunday time slot was expensive. Some of my grandfather's friends urged him not to move ahead, but he believed this was God's calling, so he made the commitment. But one Thursday, it looked like he had made a mistake. The next day, he owned he owed KNX Radio $500. We would need to cancel Sunday's broadcast. But he only had $350. So he sat there eyeing the phone, wondering if he should make the call to cancel. Finally, finally with great regret, he decided to make the call. But just as he reached for the phone, it rang. A dentist friend who had come to faith through my grandfather's broadcast was calling. His first words were, Charlie, do you need any money? My grandfather was shocked and answered, yes, I do. The dentist responded, well, then come over and see me. So my grandfather drove to the dentist's home. When he got there, the dentist asked him how much money he needed. My grandfather answered, $150. The dentist turned to his wife with a stunned look on his face. Then he pulled from his pocket a check he had already made out to my grandfather for exactly $150. And the dentist explained what had happened. He said his wife had woken him up the previous night and said, we must give Charles Fuller $150 tomorrow. But the dentist explained to his wife that they only had $25 in the bank. But she insisted, I don't care. We've got to do it. He didn't know what to say. So he suggested that they talk about the next day, and they went back to sleep. The next morning, he went to his dentist's office, as usual. But while I was there, a patient unexpectedly arrived. And said he had come to pay his overdue dental bill, which was for $800. When the bill was paid, the dentist immediately wrote a check for $150 to my grandfather. Then he drove home to tell his wife what had happened. And he called my grandfather to have him come over without knowing anything of how close my grandfather was to canceling his time slot on the KNX radio station. They were all stunned and strengthened by God's merciful, detailed Faithfulness. So pray and trust him. He is faithful. Give us this day our daily bread. The result of preparing this sermon was obviously to do this very thing right here. 
This is your assignment this week. I hope I've shown you how blessed you are. How God has kept his word, has blessed the righteous. And so be thankful for all that God has given you. Don't worry, he will provide. Amen. We can close with a song this morning. Can you, worship team, come up? I will uh, pray. Lord Jesus, Heavenly Father, you who are so good to us, you who allow us into your presence, what an awesome privilege that is. Thank you for blessing us. You do indeed provide for the righteous as we have seen. And you will continue to provide for the righteous. And while our hearts break for the unrighteous that do not have, I praise you that you have bound yourself to provide for us and we can be a blessing to others. We have the opportunity, the privilege of displaying, putting you on display, of you being glorified through us. Thank you for who you are. You truly are, Majira, God our provider. And all God's people said, Amen.